This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. Before getting started, I'd like to thank everyone who purchased the Notorious Bakersfield Friday the 13th tour. I've received a lot of positive feedback about the tour, and I'm really grateful. And I wanted to explain why I've came up with these tours. Even though podcasts have been around for over a decade, podcasting is relatively new. It's a relatively new media outlet. It's gotten more popular in recent years, and with its growing popularity, we've seen an explosion of new podcasts and podcasters. June 1st will mark the one-year anniversary of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. Starting out, I knew what I wanted to cover, old Bakersfield news stories, Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Before launching, I became a quick study of podcasting. There were certain standards I wanted to stick to. Here are a few of those standards. Number one, I wanted it to be available to anyone interested in Bakersfield history, regardless of a listener's ability to pay. Many podcasts monetize certain episodes, meaning you have to pay or subscribe to listen to popular episodes. I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to break up whatever audience Notorious Bakersfield might generate into classes. Number two, I didn't want anybody to tell me what stories to cover. I want to always remain independent. I am open to story ideas and suggestions, but ultimately the decision to cover or not cover a story is mine alone. Nobody should influence what I cover or how I cover it. Number three, um, in the beginning, I was open to sponsors, and I did have a couple of sponsors. Thank you very much. But I soon learned that getting sponsors and maintaining sponsors was another job, and I didn't want another job. Another thing to consider about sponsors, Notorious Bakersfield episodes are relatively short, 15 to 30 minutes each. How many advertisements would listeners be willing to suffer through during a 15 or 20 or 30 minute episode? Yeah. So to maintain those standards, I came up with this idea of how to monetize the Notorious Bakersfield podcast with these special tours, the Halloween tour and the Friday the 13th tour. It's a unique approach that has so far proven successful. I'm already working on another Halloween tour for this October. I have other ideas that will help support this podcast that I'll be rolling out later this year. So keep an eye on that. So thanks again to everybody who supported the Notorious Bakersfield podcast by purchasing the Friday the 13th tour. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I enjoyed putting it together and uh, telling those stories. So thank you again. About 8.30 in the morning on February 15th, 1941, a Saturday, an African-American man by the name of Henry Wallace arrived at the California State Relief Administration Office, or SRA, on Chester Avenue. The office was located on the east side of Chester Avenue, across the street from what today is the Samlin Ballpark. Back then, the Kern County Fairgrounds was located where the ballpark is now. 
The State Relief Administration was the precursor to what is today known as the Employment Development Department. Henry Wallace was early. The SRA office didn't open until 9 a.m. So he hung out outside waiting for the office workers to open for business. As he waited, Henry took notice of some of the employees arriving to work. He assumed they were employees because they entered through the doorway marked for employees. Henry strolled down the sidewalk of Chester Avenue, just killing time before the office opened for business. He was about a half a block away when he decided to turn around and head back towards the SRA office again. When Henry was about a quarter of a block from the SRA office, he noticed a man standing in the doorway of a closed used furniture store. This man was white, tall, 6'4", looked to be in his late 50s wearing overalls. Henry thought this man was doing the same thing he was, waiting for the SRA office to open. Henry walked by the man without paying too much attention to him. When Henry was about 20 feet from the SRA building, the man who had been standing in that doorway brushed past Henry in a hurried pace. This is when Henry noticed the man was carrying a rifle. He walked ahead of Henry toward the SRA office. When the man reached the building, he walked through the entrance marked for employees. When Henry got to the door a few seconds later, he heard a gunshot ring out inside. Without hesitating, Henry flung open the door and rushed in. Inside, another man was wrestling the tall man in overalls. He was still holding the rifle. Henry lunged for the weapon, grabbed it, and ripped it from the man's grip. Once Henry had the gun, he hit the man in the jaw with the gun's butt. It was too late. Lying dead on the floor a few feet in front of the men was 29-year-old SRA social worker Elizabeth Tarbox. This is murdered over $2.50. Elizabeth Tarbox was a longtime resident of Porterville, California, she moved to Bakersfield with her husband, Joseph, in 1940. The couple relocated to Bakersfield when Joseph took a job as the manager of the local Social Security office. Once the couple settled in, in Bakersfield, Elizabeth, a trained social worker, got a job as a caseworker at the State Relief Administration. She'd only been employed at the SRA for a couple of months when, on Valentine's Day, 1941, she first met 59-year-old Walter Fairbanks. The 200-pound, 6-foot-4-inch man was a relief recipient. He was irate. His relief check hadn't been issued. The amount, $30.20, was a miscalculation. Elizabeth Tarbox informed Fairbanks, an unemployed carpenter, that the amount was going to be reduced. The amount that his relief check was going to be reduced was $2.50. 
She said it was determined that Fairbanks and his wife weren't paying enough in rent to justify the size of his relief check. The two exchange words. Before leaving the SRA office, Fairbanks threatened Elizabeth. The next morning, Saturday, February 15th, Walter Fairbanks woke up still angry about the situation. He ate some white rice for breakfast and drank a cup of black coffee. At 7 a.m., he got his rifle. As he was walking out the front door of his home on Knott Street, he told his wife he'd probably never see her again. Mrs. Fairbanks rushed out to the front yard to try to stop her husband. The larger man pushed her to the ground and stalked off down the street, gripping the rifle. Not having a telephone, Mrs. Fairbanks knocked on the door of a neighbor, Ralph Diaz. Mrs. Fairbanks explained what was happening and asked Diaz to call the sheriff's office. When the phone rang at the sheriff's office, Deputy Don Brink answered. Diaz told the deputy that Walter Fairbanks, an armed and disgruntled SRA recipient, was en route to the SRA office to kill Elizabeth Tarbox and other big shots. Deputy Brink left the sheriff's office and drove to the welfare department to investigate. The welfare department was located several blocks from the SRA office. When Deputy Brink arrived at the welfare department and didn't find anybody matching Walter Fairbanks' description, the deputy drove to Kern General Hospital to follow up on an unrelated matter. Elizabeth Tarbox was just settling into her chair behind her desk, getting ready for the workday to begin when Walter Fairbanks rushed through the employee entrance of the SRA office. Fairbanks went directly to Elizabeth's desk. He leveled his rifle at her. The social worker immediately recognized the angry man from the previous day and screamed. She jumped to her feet. Fairbanks moved around the desk. Trying to keep the desk between her and her attacker, Elizabeth moved in the opposite direction. When Elizabeth turned her back to run to the rear of the office, Fairbanks pulled the trigger. He fired a single bullet into the fleeing woman's back. Charles Trent, an SRA office worker, was a few feet behind Fairbanks. Trent jumped on Fairbanks' back to try to tackle the gunman. That's when Henry Wallace, the African-American man, rushed in to assist. He grabbed the rifle and wrestled it out of Fairbanks' hands. Wallace smashed the butt of the gun against Fairbanks' jaw. Another man came in to help as female employees ran for the exits. Elizabeth Tarbox was dead. The single bullet entered her back and pierced her heart. The Kern County coroner later testified she most likely died instantly. The gunman remained prone on his knees as blood dripped from his swollen jaw, guarded by the men who had neutralized him, waiting for law enforcement to arrive. Shortly before 9 a.m., while at Kern General Hospital, Deputy Brink heard the radio call for the shooting at the SRA office. 
Deputy Brink left immediately to help investigate. Ralph Diaz, the neighbor who placed the call to the sheriff's office to warn them, later insisted he told Deputy Brink that Fairbanks was headed to the SRA office. The deputy maintained he was told the welfare department. I don't think it was ever established who was responsible for the mix-up, but it likely cost Elizabeth Tarbox her life. In the aftermath of this tragedy, Kern County Sheriff Laustalot praised Henry Wallace as a hero. The sheriff said if it hadn't been for his actions, more people would have been harmed in the shooting. When the assailant was interviewed by a Bakersfield, Californian reporter, he said he'd do it all over again if given the chance. Elizabeth Tarbox was 29 years old. She was survived by her husband, Joseph Tarbox, her parents, and four siblings. Her body was transported to Porterville. Graveside services were held on Tuesday, February 18, 1941. The SRA office closed for business that day so Elizabeth's co-workers could attend the services. The Kern County District Attorney Tom Scott requested the grand jury to meet to charge Fairbanks with murder. This enabled the DA to introduce the case directly to the Superior Court. Of course, Walter Fairbanks pleaded not guilty to this charge. When researching these old stories, I'm always shocked at the swiftness of the criminal justice system back then. This case was no different. It took only a month for Walter Fairbanks to stand trial for the death of Elizabeth Tarbox. Fairbanks never denied he shot the social worker, but he maintained it wasn't his intention to kill her, only to wound her. His defense attorney employed an interesting tactic. The lawyer tried to get the autopsy surgeon to claim Elizabeth Tarbox had a weak heart, and she could have possibly died of fright. Rather than the bullet that left a nasty wound in her back and exited her chest, yeah, it was fright. <laughs> of course, the autopsy surgeon said that was preposterous. The trial lasted a week before a Kern County jury found Fairbanks guilty of first-degree murder and recommended a life sentence. The judge later agreed with the jury and sentenced the convicted murderer to life in prison. The last mention I could find about Walter Fairbanks in the Bakersfield, Californian was in April 1960. The then 79-year-old was denied parole for the third time. So I assume he died in prison. I don't know that for sure, though. Resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield, Californian, the Fresno Bee, and findagrave.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week.